At the top of my notes, every time I preach, it says set timer. And that's for your sake, not for mine. So I'm going to do that right now. Uh, my name is Dana, and I get to share the word with us today. As Chris mentioned earlier, we've been in, um, so we've been spending the month of January exploring the theology and the practice on, on very much a surface level. There's so much depth here, but we wanted to kind of intro, if you will, these four things, conviction, confession, consecration, and communion. And really, it's a rhythm of spiritual life that very few of us are familiar with. Um, even the topic tonight is, is, for many of us, quite an unfamiliar one. And so we wanted to look at, firstly, what does it look like to experience conviction? What does that mean? What, what, uh, how are the ways in which God, it says, that it says in, the, in the Bible that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So what does that mean? What does that look like when he highlights an area of our life that he wants to get a hold of, that he wants to be at work in. And then secondly, confession, this beautiful practice that is is very lost, I think, for many of us, the idea that we acknowledge our our failures, our sins, our, our missteps, and we acknowledge them not only to God, but as we saw last week, we are invited to acknowledge that within our community. We believe in a spiritual community that can be trusted with all of who we are. Um, I'm feeding back a little bit, AJ. Can you turn me down? Thanks, bud. Um, We explored this idea last week that, that confession is this beautiful spiritual way in which we are restored to proximity with God. Not that he distances himself from us, but rather that the taint of sin isolates us within our own flesh within our own being. And so this week, we are jumping into consecration, which is what exactly? I mentioned to a couple people, including our table community this week, that I was speaking on consecration, and each person said, yeah, what is that? Uh, Which is a great question. Uh, It's why we are here today, to learn about it. So in my kind of reading and researching and uh, Uh, Yeah, study, I kind of distilled it into this. Consecration is the action of making something sacred. It's the process by which a person or a thing is separated from profane use or secular use. I didn't like that word, but that is another word. And dedicated to that which is divine. Now, what's important to understand about consecration is that it is not simply a declarative change. You were once this, now you are this. Consecration is an undertaking, a process that affects immediate, I mean, intimate transformation within the essence of the object itself. Okay, something is changed from one thing to another, and that process in between, that beautiful spiritual space in between is consecration. Now, this is a idea that comes into play within the narrative of scripture quite early on, but one of the examples we're going to look at is with the people of Israel. Nani is really on it tonight. You can hold off a little bit. I'm not there yet. Thank you, though. Uh, No, you're good. Um, I should have put blank slides in between these. Sorry. 
Uh, Okay, so God calls the people of Israel, uh, the nation itself, to himself, and he says, I'm going to set you apart, okay, which is consecration. I am going to consecrate you, and then we can go to that scripture. I'm reading this evening. All of my verses are from the CSB, in case you're curious. In Exodus 19, God says this, now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, okay, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples. For although the whole earth is mine, you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. He goes on to say in the next book of the Bible, which is Leviticus, because I am the Lord your God, you must consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. So the nation of Israel is chosen by God. There's this beautiful, I wish I had time to go into the covenant and the way in which God does it, but he calls them to be a holy nation, a consecrated people. I want to set you apart. I want you to be sacred. Unfortunately, they did not choose to be fully consecrated. They did not choose to be set apart from the Lord, that kingdom of priests. They allowed idolatry and sin and violence and disobedience to define them. And using that kind of definition from the beginning, they gave themselves to profane use instead of that which was divine. God said, this is what I want to make you into, and Israel chose otherwise. And so then God institutes the priesthood, the Levitic priesthood, okay? And these priests both performed and represented holiness, that sacredness, that set-apartness that God had desired for all of his people. They were consecrated for the purpose of drawing close to God, of worshiping him in the most intimate way. And they were intended to be an example, if you will, to the rest of Israel of what God desired for those he called his own. Now, the priests would go through uh, quite a lengthy process of consecration. Remember, it's this making of, uh, and it would be a regular and routine thing that would ensure their beings, their entire beings, were set apart, were sacred, and were in alignment with God's holiness. Remember, because I am the Lord, be holy as I am holy. And so I'm not going to read the entirety of Leviticus 9, um, but that's the first passage we see Aaron, who's... uh, Uh, begins that line of Levitic priesthood and his sons, and they go through this process of consecration. They are, they, they take off their own clothes, their own garments, and they are washed or cleansed in water. And then they would be clothed in new robes with lots of different things. There's like an ephod, which is like a belt of embroidered, and it's, it's, anyways, it's the whole thing. And then there's a breast piece, and there's a sacred diadem signifying their, their sacredness to God, signifying their position that they hold. And then the priest would be anointed with oil, as would the entire tabernacle and all of the utensils therein. And then there would be a sin offering. And then there would be a, uh, what was it called? A uh, ordination offering, which interestingly, the, the blood of that, remember in the Old Testament, they gave uh, animal sacrifices. So the blood of that bull would be taken and it would be placed on the priest's ear and on his thumb and on his feet. One of the commentaries, Clark, who was a, a, a Adam Clark, was a Methodist teacher. He writes that this ceremony, this 
specific part of the uh, consecration proceedings was intended to signify that these priests were, delicate, uh, were dedicating their, all of their faculties, all of their powers in the service of God, their ability to hear and discern his voice, the work of their hands, the, uh, the, the places that they would go, that they were set apart in every area of their life fully immersed and engaged in the work that God had designed them or called them to. And then after that, more anointing oil, blood would be actually put on their robes so that the garments they wore, the very things that were on them were consecrated to the Lord. And finally, in this beautiful moment, then they are fed from, from the food that is there. Now, this was the process of consecration in Leviticus 9 for Aaron and his sons, and so it continued. You see, they were called to be the priesthood, and that process enabled them to minister on behalf of God and his people. And what I want us to see here through all of these details is that consecration was a necessity of the identity or the calling of the priesthood. This is who you are, therefore... Be holy as your God is holy. Now here's what's interesting. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter. We're starting in chapter 2. Peter writes, but you, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to you and I. The New Testament authors are writing to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his possession. Now, that should sound remarkably similar to what we just read in Exodus and Leviticus, right? Pretty similar, okay? So God here, through the voice of Peter, is doing this incredible thing where he will, where he is reinstating the language of his original design, the divine identity that he desired for the people of Israel, that he then gave to the priesthood, is now being given to you and I who are in Christ Jesus. And here's what we need to understand, is that God's eternal desire for his people, then and now and forevermore, is this, that we would be holy that we would be sacred, a sacred people consecrated to him, to the divine work and life that he intended for us. We were created from the very beginning, not for anger and strife and anxiety. We were created from the very beginning for peace and joy, not for scarcity, but for abundance and generosity he made us for kindness and graciousness and, and, and righteousness, i.e. the right way in which we were intended to live. And so all throughout the narrative of scripture, we see this undercurrent. This is what God always desired. And sin and our own choices get in the way, and yet he is continuously pulling us back to this idea, you are chosen by me. I have a plan, I have a desire for the restoration of the world through you. The difference now, when Peter writes these words, is that we are his people, we are his priesthood, not by our own means, not by our own deeds, not even by our own holiness or the ways in which we can consecrate ourselves, but by the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
We are washed and cleansed, not by a river, but by the sacrifice of his great love. God so loved the world that he gave his very being for us. And that act has sealed for all eternity our secure identity and relationship to God. Romans 5 says, we have been declared righteous by faith. It is done. The work of Jesus, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you have been declared righteous by faith. And Paul goes on to say that we have obtained access through Jesus to the grace in which we stand. Talk about secure attachment, okay? Talk about something that is absolutely steadfast. It has been declared. It has been proclaimed. It is an edict that has gone out, and it cannot be revoked. So, in light of all of that, okay, where then is the need for consecration? How does it fit into this understanding? If we already have forgiveness of our sins and we have intimate access to the Father, how does this fit into the identity in which we now live? I'm going to read two passages, or we're going to read two passages of Scripture tonight that I think provide such a beautiful example for us. Sound good? You all with me? Okay. Sometimes the Old Testament stuff is a little intense. Well done. You made it through uh, all 12 steps of the Levitic consecration. I almost left it out, but I think it's important to understand what they used to have to do to be in the presence of God so that when we enter this space and we are aware of the presence of God that is with us and extending love and grace and mercy, we understand the beauty and the divinely sacred nature of that, okay? All right, open your Bibles, Romans chapter 12. Oh, yeah, good, okay. Thank you. I thought you were like, uh, Dana, that's heresy. You can, you can speak to me after if it is. Uh, Okay, so Romans chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, that's us. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in in view of the mercies of God. What are the mercies of God? A few verses earlier, Paul writes this. Because you are justified freely by grace through the redemption of Jesus Christ. Those are the mercies of God. So, therefore... In view of those mercies, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. I was reading kind of a, um, a Greek lexicon this week, and they said true worship is almost more directly translated into divine service. This is your divine service. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Therefore, I urge you, you and I, to what? Present yourselves as living sacrifices in divine service. Paul is saying here that for you and I, we can take our very beings, all of our faculties, my body, my mind, my heart, my actions, my thoughts, and I can consecrate them to the Lord. Instead of allowing who I am and what I do to remain conformed to this world, I can choose, because of the blood of Jesus, to be set apart, to be sacred, 
Through Jesus, through the work of Jesus, friends, we have been empowered to a true consecration where we can be like him and participate in his divine nature. That means that that it is possible to participate in the divine nature of grace. This last month or two, I have been sitting in Love is Patient. I have two toddlers, and I have myself. And uh, that's where I've been. Love is patient. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus, I can participate in the perfect patience of God And it is not easy, and it is not overnight. But the resurrection of Jesus empowers me to participate in something that I could never have done before. You see, what we are invited to here in Romans 12 is that the entirety of who I am can be a living, breathing, sacrifice, holy, and acceptable to God. It means if we think of that uh, analogy or that what actually happened to them, but we think of it as an analogy where the priests were consecrated. It means I can consecrate the things that, I can consecrate my ears, that I can hear the voice of God, that I can be attuned to what he's saying, that I have the ability to, through the blood of Jesus, be consecrated, that my hands, that the work of my hands, that even the job that I do not like, that I, can, that I can allow that to be consecrated unto the Lord, that my work can be holy and pleasing. My feet, that every step I take would be ordered of the Lord, that would be in alignment with his path, that it would be righteous and good and holy. Therefore, I urge you, living sacrifices, we are, we are invited to take our beings and begin the process by which the work of Jesus is consecrating our very faculties. Does that make sense? All right, let's flip a few uh, books over to Colossians. This is a longer passage, but I want us to read the entirety of it. So we're going to begin in Colossians chapter 3. Give you a second to turn there. Paul, the writer of Colossians, begins, So, verse 1, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden in Christ, uh, with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Here it is. Therefore, in view of all of that, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them, but now put put away all of the following, anger, wrath, Malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. And since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In God, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian. I don't know how to say that actually. 
Nobody else does too. Uh, slave and free. As I read, I was like, I never actually pronounced that out loud. Um, but Christ in all and in all. Oh, good. That sounds right, Jonathan. Uh, almost done. Let's pick up these last few verses. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, here it is, friends, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, if anyone has a grievance against another, and just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom teachings and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I couldn't cut any of that off. It's just, it's just too good. So, Paul says, to recap, if you have been raised with Christ, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you are now God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. When I was preparing tonight, I thought some of you need to stop right there. Dearly loved by God. Some of you just need to hear that that the creator of the entire universe, that the God who breathed life into your very being is in love with you. And that is where you stand, that is secure, that is with you are loved by God. And since that is who you are, since you don't have to earn this, since you don't have to make this true, since that is who you are, put on your new self. Put it on. Take those robes, take those robes of white, those holy kind of, I'm thinking of the priestly garb, and put it on. He says, being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. This is consecration. Take a hold of that which is yours in Christ Jesus whoa, just skipped a page. And all the while, you are loved by God. I am putting on in this moment my new self. I am allowing myself to be defined, to be intimately transformed from profane use to divine use. I am setting myself apart by what? By putting to death, Paul writes, what belongs to the earthly nature. That is the old self right? Impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which he calls idolatry, friends. Living here where there is such an insatiable need for wealth and things, it's idolatry. It will destroy us. Take it off. Take it off. And like a priest, I, I, I remove those old selves, anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language, lying. I separate myself from the old self. I separate myself from my old garments and I put on instead my new self 
that is full of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. This is how we consecrate ourselves. It's in every action. It's in every conversation. It's the moments in which we choose to allow the holiness of Jesus to permeate the details of our lives. He continues on, we bear with one another. What does that mean? That means when things get hard, we hunker down together. We don't allow others to drift away. We don't cast others aside. We forgive each other. Forgiveness is a gift through God. It is the consecration of what otherwise would be anger and bitterness inside of me. But when I consecrate it to Jesus, I am enabled to forgive. And above all, Paul finishes, we put on love, we are ruled by peace, and finally we are filled with thanksgiving. This is a living sacrifice in action. This is what Romans spoke about. This is what it looks like. This is the consecrated life, and it is a process. There is so much incredible work on formation by some of the people in this room, and I'm not going to go into that, but it is a process. It is a process, but it is a process of becoming what we are in Jesus. Does that make sense? We choose to become what God has declared over us. And here's what I want us to understand is that we can also choose not to. We can also choose not to be consecrated in this way. All of the language here is invitational. God isn't going to force it. He's not going to make it happen. God is, is kind and gracious, and he is going to allow us. It is not, uh, what's the word? What's the word where it's definitely going to happen? Inevitable. It's not inevitable. The consecrated life is not inevitable. We can accept Jesus, and we can be dearly loved, but we can choose to continue on in our old ways. The writer of Hebrews puts it like this in chapter 10. It's one of my favorite lines. He said, Christ made, for by one sacrifice, Christ made perfect forever those who are being made holy. You see, all of life, if we allow it, is the process by which we are being made holy. It is the process, if we choose it, by which we are being consecrated. We are taken from our own use and we are be being made sacred. That is what this is. But we can choose not to do that. We can choose not to be set apart. You can believe in Jesus and yet, have you ever met someone who's slightly older in their uh, faith? They've been a Christian a long time and, um, and unfortunately, there is a very lack, there's a deep lack of the transformation of Jesus. They're angry, they're bitter, they're, they're stingy when God calls us to be generous. They're prejudiced when God calls us to be loving. And you think, what happened there? Well, they chose not to be being made holy. They chose not to set apart. And all the while, we are still loved by God. I want us to understand that. But we won't look like him. We won't look like Jesus, at least not now. And so we continue on in our sin. Thomas Merton has this little book called On Life and Holiness. It's, it's 
beautiful. I recently lost my copy, and it's very, very sad. Um, it's like the original print from the 60s. Anyways, it's, you're not sad about that. I am. <laughs> so <laughs> it's my thing. Um, but he writes this. He says, sin is the refusal to be what we were created to be, images of God. That was always his intent. I want you to be image bearers of all that is good and true and beautiful. Sin is the refusal to be what we were called to be, images of God. That was true in Genesis, that was true in Exodus, that was true in Leviticus, and that is true now. And he writes, says it like this, only humans, it seems, have the capacity to live as something other than what they are. Rocks are rocks, trees are trees, but we who were always made to be God reflectors, to be this image of, of little gods, if you will, on earth, right? We are reflecting him. We can choose to be something else. If we don't, if we are not transformed, if we don't offer ourselves as living sacrifices, if I don't choose to consecrate my time, my money, my sexuality, if I don't choose to allow the daily routines and rhythms of my life to align with that which I was created to be, I will not step into the fullness of that sacredness in which God intended. But I want to urge us to choose a consecrated life a life that is fully and completely and utterly in his divine service. My time, Father, it is set apart for you. What should I use it for? My money, Father, it is set apart for you. How should I spend it? Let me tell you a secret. He will almost always invite you into more generosity because that's how he is. My relationships, Father, these people are your children. They are dearly loved by you. How can I love them? How should I treat them? How should I care for them? My pain, Father, this anger is not of you. Won't you teach me forgiveness? That is consecration. And I want us to see, friends, that it is all of life is spiritual. All of life matters. And so then the question remains, am I choosing to take all of my life and set it apart and allow it to be sacred through the blood of Jesus? This is why the writer of the New Testament time and time again say to you and I who believe in Jesus, they remind us, they urge us, they call us to our consecratedness, our set-apartness. Another beautiful passage in Romans 6. I don't remember if I put it in my notes, but therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Do not offer any parts of yourself to sin as a weapon for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourself to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but grace. But he urges us because we have to choose it. You guys still there? Because we have the grace of Jesus. We can participate in, in being like him. We can participate in his holiness, in his divine nature, in his set-apartness. I'm coming into close. I'm coming into land, which is the right phrase. 
I'm cut. Uh, yeah, you get it. Okay. And I want to read um, I, a little, I, I really wrestled with, honestly, how do we empower without going into, I mean, a very long conversation around formation. I processed, how, what does this look like in our lives? How do we begin to, to reshape our thinking? And um, I found the other day this little book. I must have bought it years ago. I don't even remember. And it's a series of lectures C.S. Lewis did, and it's called Beyond Personality. I didn't even know that I'd never heard of it. And I read part of it to our table community this week, but I want to read something as we kind of process what this begins to look like, okay? Lewis writes this. The terrible thing, the almost impossible thing, is to hand over your whole self, all your wishes, all your desires to Christ. But it's far easier than what we're all trying to do instead, For what we're trying to do is remain what we call ourselves to keep personal happiness as our great aim in life and yet at the same time be good. We are all trying to let our minds and hearts go on their own way centered on money or pleasure uh, or ambition and hoping in spite of this to behave honestly and purely and humbly. Oh, I'm going to pause on that. That's it. Okay. Oh, sorry. Okay. And yet that is exactly what Christ warned us we couldn't do. You see, for many of us, we want to hold on to the old self. We want to hold on to the things that, that, that we are attached to. And we're, we say, God, okay, you can, you can kind of consecrate this area. You can work in this area, but I don't want to let go of this. And so as I process, I thought, you know, the first thing is that consecration begins and is ended by and is middled by surrender. We simply have to let go. We have to surrender to Jesus to truly be a living sacrifice. My life is not my own. And I have to recognize all the ways in which I attempt to hold on to my old self, my old garments, to the old patterns and to the old sins. I have to recognize the ways in which I resist the grace of God. Flannery O'Connor has this beautiful line, I think I'll try and remember it, where she says, we all resist grace because grace changes us and we don't like change. We all dig our, I don't, I don't actually want to be transformed. I don't, I don't actually want to do that. And so when we surrender, when we open our hands, we ask, God, what have you intended for my life? What is the image barrenness and how can I live into that? Second thought for, uh, for us, consecration is the constant turning towards Sue and I have been in, uh, well, we've been for a while, we're in therapy, and there's this idea in therapy with couples especially is this idea of turning towards. It's constantly throughout the day you are, uh, you are reorienting your affections, your attentions, your intimacy. You are not, while you're talking, they're looking the other way, right? You are turning towards. And I believe, friends, in consecration, this is what we do with Jesus, We constantly turn ourselves back towards him. We constantly fix our eyes back on him. We constantly allow the the moments of the day. um, I wonder if I have time to read it. I'll read it really quick. Okay. He says, the real problem of the Christian life, this is C.S. Lewis, comes when people don't usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. 
It comes the very, uh, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And your first job each morning is shoving them all back. Just listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quiet, quieter life come flowing in and so on all day long. This is turning towards. All day long, I am turning back to that quieter, steadier, calmer voice that is the voice of Jesus. Two more. Consecration often requires saying no. Friends, there is such liberation that comes from saying no. Abstaining is an act of consecration. Non-participation can affect intimate transformation in our lives. And this could apply to substances, to habits, to relationships, to time. We can apply this to community. If there are people in our lives that are struggling with certain things, can we on behalf of them abstain and create spaces that are sacred, that are consecrated because we know what they are wrestling with? Can we show up and allow a place itself and the people therein to be consecrated by our ability to say no, no to unrighteousness? Lastly, consecration is entirely dependent on truth, the truth of God. Without it, we can consecrate our lives, to use that word, to a lot of other things. We can be dedicated, we can be set apart to a lot of other things. And I'm going to land us by reading this portion of John, John 17. This is Jesus, the words of Jesus to the Father. I am not asking that you take them out of this world. Consecration is not isolation. It's not removal, okay? But that you guard them from the evil one. They are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. So make them holy, consecrated with the truth. Your word is consecrating truth. In the same way that you gave a mission, gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. I am consecrating myself for their sake so that they'll be truth consecrated in their mission. Friends, the word of God is the thing that resets our minds. And I want to urge us to be a people who are consecrated by the word of God, who allow it to get in there and change things, who allow, who allow this to intimately affect our very being. And in doing so, we are consecrated, living, breathing, sacred humans. Can I pray for us? Jesus, you are good and kind and beautiful. And I ask that all that is of you would plant good seeds tonight. All that is not would be laid to side. But that which is good and true and beautiful would cause flourishing, would cause change, May we constantly be turning towards you from the moment we wake up. May we learn to listen to that simpler, quieter, more beautiful voice that is your own.